This morning we're going to be back in uh, the book of Hosea again. And uh, we'll be in Hosea chapter number 5. Hosea chapter number 5. And this morning, it's a rather interesting uh, passage of scripture here. Primarily because um, the Lord is trying to get our attention about some things that are going on. Um, he wants the people to know uh, what has happened in their life and how they have um, pretty much just turned away from God. And just to recap um, from some of the things that we've been studying, we've been looking at the book of Hosea and the message that God has for them. And as we've already looked at, uh, we looked at the uh, unfaithful wife, uh, Gomer, and how she went after other men, after other lovers. And God was trying to give a description showing that the, the children of Israel, how they had went after other gods. And he's trying to call them back unto himself. Then we looked at the faithful husband. Um, and that was supposed to be a representation of God that he had done nothing wrong. Uh, he's there pleading with his wife, Israel. And he's saying, come back to me, come back to me. And unfortunately, uh, Israel continues to go after other gods and after other lovers. And then we see that when Hosea is commanded by God to go and redeem his wife and, and bring her back home. And what a picture of salvation that was for us. The fact that, that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to purchase us and bring us back to himself. He's reconciling us back to himself. And then last week we looked at the message that the Lord has. And it's the, the controversy that he had. And it was the courtroom setting, remember? And God has a controversy against Israel. And he says, this is the evidence that I have against you. These are the things that you've done wrong. And he accuses primarily the priests, the prophets, the ones that were supposed to be leading in worship. And he says, because you have forgotten God, you have caused the people to err, to go after other gods. And so we looked at that as the primary responsibility of, of those that lead in worship, those that, that uh, lead teaching the word of God of how important it is for us to, to maintain our relationship with the Lord and to be faithful to God and in teaching. And so now this brings us here into chapter number five, and that courtroom setting continues. God's saying, okay... Here's my, here's my case against you. Here's all the evidence. And now the Lord here is going to bring judgment upon the people. And so here in chapter 5, he brings his case and he says, I'm going to pronounce the judgment that is going to happen on you. One thing that I think that must be stressed is that God has given us his word. And as we looked at last week, that word is so important because it's light for us. And the, the dark world that we live in, the light, that the only light that we have is his word. And so if this is not primary in our lives, it's very, very difficult to navigate the darkness in which we live. And so since the word of God is a light to us, we must heed... All of the word of God and apply it to our life. Because if we're not applying the word of God to our life, if we're not heeding the message 
that God has in his word, then basically we're just like that man is what James says. He goes and looks in the mirror and he forgets. He walks away. Because he may look and he's got messed up hair and something's not right. And instead of fixing it, he goes on his way and he forgets what kind of man that he really is. So we must apply the biblical truths that God dictates in his word to our life. God understands everything perfectly, fully. In all of his wisdom, he knows exactly what is best for us as human beings. And our understanding is imperfect, it's misguided, and it's incomplete without the word of God. So God's word basically is an amazing gift to us because it shows us exactly what we need in our life. Listening to what God tells us means this, that we must hear what God is saying to us. Now there are two ways that a lot of people often approach the Bible. Sometimes people look in the Bible for inspirational sayings. They look just for the nice, uh, nice sayings that, that are easily applicable to our life. And yes, there are some amazing sayings in the Word of God. I thank the Lord for John 3.16. That is an amazing verse. That's an inspirational verse. But also coupled with that, there's also verses in God's Word that deal specifically with certain things. So we should never take the air of of just pulling one verse out of its context and trying to make application just of that one verse. You can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. So that's why it's important to faithfully study the word, apply the word to our lives, make sure that we're keeping everything within its context. And in here, God's word tells us exactly what he wants us to know. So that's one way that people approach the Bible is they may take things out of context. A second thing that we can look how people approach the Bible as a message from God to us. And within this message, God tells us very closely exactly what we need to know. So we need to pay very close attention to his words, what he's saying to us, so that way we can make the application to our lives. This means that we focus on what God is focusing on. This means that our job is to emphasize what God is emphasizing. Do you see the difference in the two? The first way tries to get the Bible to say what you want it to say. But the second focuses on what God is telling us. Charles Spurgeon often said, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose And the lion will defend itself. Rather than us thinking that we know best, God simply says what he wants us to say, wants us to know. So we must take heed to God's word. And one of the main subjects in God's word is the subject of sin. You can find it throughout all of God's word. And that's one of the main subjects that that God deals with is man's sinful nature, man's sin problem, and the remedy in which he sent to to make sure that we were able to be reconciled back to him. Now you say, Mike, come on. Aren't we going to have some kind of positive message this morning? Well, I think it is positive. Because if we're not willing to focus in on what God focuses in on, we've missed the whole picture. 
We have to deal with what God says is important in his word. And so here in God's word in Hosea 5, God is pronouncing judgment upon the nation for their sin. Now we must remember we are not Israel. This was a message primarily for the nation of Israel. God is dealing with the nation of Israel. But there is still an application that we can apply to our lives. So this is the primary message here in Hosea chapter number 5. What we are going to see here in Hosea 5 is a vivid description of the judgment of God. God describes their sin... And then he describes the judgment that's going to happen, that's going to come upon their lives. God is going to be describing his judgment in a many number of ways, and we'll see those here just briefly. God's going to use a different number of pictures. He's going to use a different uh, analogies, how he's going to bring his judgment upon his people. And God is telling us all of this because he knows we need to hear it. So it's important that as we look at Hosea chapter number 5, that we get the picture, we get the idea, we get the, we get the theme here of what God is saying. That God is holy and he cannot tolerate sin. God's not going to let it sweep under the rug. God's not, God's not going to just kind of wink an eye at it. He's not going to say, oh, I didn't see that. God deals with it because he's a holy God and he must deal with it. So let's look here at judgment day that God will bring here on Israel. And we'll look through many of these verses here as, uh, as we go through them. So first of all, everyone is included. The judgment of God is for everybody. Look here in Hosea chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. He says, Hear this, O priest. Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for the judgment is for you. For you have been a snare at Mizpah, and a net spread upon Tabor, and the revolters have gone deep into slaughter, but I will discipline all of them. This message here was given by Hosea probably around 750 B.C. And in these first two verses, God says, my judgment is for everyone. Now I have to ask myself this question. Why did God have to say that my judgment is for everybody? And he lists, I mean, in detail, he says, priest, house of Israel. And then he says, even the house of the king. He says, my judgment is for everybody. I'm going to have to punish everybody for their sin. Why would God have to say that? Could it be that evidently that there were people living in that nation that thought, eh, I'm not going to experience the judgment of God. I'm a pretty good guy. Could it be that as, as he makes mention, first of all, he says, oh, you priest. Could it be that the priests were thinking, hey, you know, I got it in with God. I lead in, I lead in worship. I'm one of the religious leaders. God's certainly not going to bring judgment upon me. But God says, he says, no, oh, priest, pay attention. And then he says, oh, house of Israel. This is talking about the people there as a whole. And it's interesting that God would say this because remember the people of Israel? were God's chosen people. Could it be that some of the people there that lived in that area thought, God certainly wouldn't bring judgment upon me because, after all, we're God's chosen people. He loves us. Why would he do something like that? 
But he says, no, listen, give ear, O house of Israel. They maybe thought that they were so special that God certainly wouldn't bring judgment upon them. But he says, I will bring judgment upon you. This judgment is for you, O house of Israel. Lastly, he says, O house of the king. This refers to the royal family and the royal officials that were living about. Because of their position, because of their nobility that they had, they probably thought, ah, certainly, I'm not going to have to suffer the consequences here. After all, I'm a king. I serve in the king's house. It's kind of like today. I remember seeing a, uh, a YouTube video of this uh, person, and they were a celebrity. They got pulled over. And the celebrity was not driving. It was actually a boyfriend or husband. I can't remember exactly what happened. But they they were getting questioned by the police. And the celebrity got out of the vehicle and said, How dare you do that? Don't you know who I am? "Um, Yes, I do. I don't care. You violated a a crime here. And so you're going to get a ticket. (laughs) So they thought, Hey, I have an in. I have some special treatment that I should be able to have. God says, no, the judgment is for you, king. They had the best of the best. They had all the advantage. They were not treated like everyone else. They were the movie stars. They were the famous people. They assumed that they should get better treatment because of their position. God, however, makes it very clear. And he says, my judgment also includes the house of the king and everybody that's living in that house. So for some reason, I don't know why we think this. Have you ever thought this? Maybe you're sitting in a service and you're hearing a message and you're like, yeah, I wish so-and-so was here. They really needed that. Wait a minute. God's word is for all of us. We have to make sure that we're applying the word of God to ourselves. It's not just for so-and-so. It's not just for that one person that you wish should really be here. God's word is for you. It's for me. And in here, God says, Everyone is included in this judgment. Sometimes we think, not me. God really wouldn't judge me, would he? I can't tell you the numerous people that I've encountered and talked with and have some kind of weird thinking that they think that they're somehow on a better plane than other people. They actually think that God has, has a different set of rules for them than somebody else. God say, that's not how it works. He says, my judgment is for everyone. In Romans 6.23, it speaks clearly of this. He says, for the wages of sin is death. That includes everyone that has sinned. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So without Christ, all of us are under the condemnation of God's judgment. But we must understand that God is the judge And there is a future judgment that is coming. Here in Hosea 5, 750 BC, God is pronouncing his judgment upon this nation. But there will be coming a future judgment that everybody will have to answer to. Because that's what it teaches us in the book of Revelation. It says, And I saw both the small and great stand before God. The books were open and the dead were judged according to those things which were written therein. A great thing, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you won't be in that great white throne judgment. But you will be judged by Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. 
But there is a future coming judgment for everybody. Nobody's going to escape it. God has a set point time in all of eternity. And he says, this is going to happen. Nobody's going to thwart the plan of God. God has it on his calendar. He knows when it's going to happen. God's judgment applies to all people. So he says everybody is included. Let's look now here, a second thing about this judgment. So judgment day is coming. Everybody's included. But secondly, here's a way that God shows his judgment to these people here. God's judgment as removing his presence. Notice in Hosea 5, verses 3 through 4, he says, I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the whore. Israel is defiled. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. For the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the Lord. The first two verses of this section give a description of their sin. Notice what he says. He says, I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For I know Ephraim, you have played the whore, and Israel is defiled. Then we see in, this, in these verses here, look at the verses of what God will do to deal with their sin. So he says, I know your sin. He says, this is what I'm going to do in that. And that will be in the next verses that we'll look at. But notice here what he says. He says, I know Ephraim. Now don't let that word confuse you. Okay, He says, I know Ephraim and Israel. Wait a minute, I thought we were talking about Israel. We still are talking about Israel here. Okay, Remember, the, remember what was going on during this time. You had the divided kingdom. You had the northern tribe. You had the southern tribe. You had ten tribes, which represents Israel. And then you had the southern tribe, which represents Judah. Now, one of the ten tribes in Israel was the, nation, was the tribe of Ephraim. Ephraim was one of the larger tribes mentioned here of Israel, okay? So God is saying, I know Ephraim and I know Israel. It's kind of like saying um, the United States and America, same thing, okay? We have Texas is a part of the United States, right? Still think so, right? Yeah, okay. So they're all together, okay? So God's saying, I know Ephraim. I know you guys. You're part of Israel. You guys are the ones that have caused a lot of this problem here. So he says about this, he says, Ephraim, I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. God knows everything. We may try to hide stuff from him. We may try to cover up. But God knows exactly what's going on. So here's Ephraim, and God says, I know you, and I know Israel, and you're not hiding from me. Everything you're doing is completely open in front of me. God says, I see it all. You can't hide from me. So God knows everything in our lives. And at the beginning of these two verses here, look, God makes it clear that he knows them, but he ends these two verses with these words. He says, they know not the Lord. God says, I know you, I know what you're doing, but you do not know me. And remember, that's the charge that he charged them with is because of their sin, because of them running after other gods. He's saying, look, you don't know me. You don't know what my word says. You don't, you're not keeping an intense focus on my word and you're allowing it to drift by. But he says, I do know you, but you do not know me. 
And look here, the solution for Israel is to repent and return to the Lord. But he says here, their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. So it's quite evident here that returning to the Lord requires that your deeds also change. That's why repentance is absolutely necessary when we return back to the Lord. If we're not willing to repent of the direction and the deeds that we are involved in, God says, then there's really no change. Because he says, look, their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. So that's why it's so important for us as we focus in on God's word, we listen to what he has to say for us. We listen and we understand that this is what is important to God. And he's saying, I want you to return back to me. But you have to be willing to repent. You have to be willing to return back to me in that sense. We must choose Jesus over our sinful deeds. You say, but Mike, what if I'm already a Christian? What if I already know the Lord is my Savior? I mean, how does this apply to me? I mean, is this not the struggle that we all of us face if we know Christ? We have this, this, this old man that's living within us. And there's a great battle and a struggle that, that persists and it goes on. And the things that we want to do are not the things that we don't do. And the things that we don't do are the things that we do. God says there's a struggle that goes on within us. So how do we reconcile with that? Well, Romans 6, 1 and 2 says, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give into sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. So God tells us very plainly and clearly, if we have been resurrected with Christ, and we have a new relationship with the Lord, that sin is not to be controlling our life. Because we have the new man that is within us. Let me kind of give you an illustration of this. Let me see, Jonas, let me borrow you real quick. And um, let's see here. Um, Alex, let me borrow you too. Okay. I want to kind of pair you guys up as much as I could. Who do you think is stronger? You think so? All right. We're going to have an arm wrestling match. You ready? I'm serious. We're going to do it right over here. Okay? So get up. Ready? All right. Let's see. Okay. Now, who wants to be the old man? All right. You're the old man. You're the new man. Okay? You've been resurrected in Christ. Okay? These are the two natures that are living within us. There's the old sinful nature... Jonas, okay? He wants to do wrong. He wants to, to just 
I mean, rebel, go after things. He, he wants to do everything contrary to what God's word has to say. But here's a new man that's renewed after Jesus Christ. He desires, he has a desire, an intense desire in his heart. He wants to follow after Christ. He wants to make sure that the word of God is applied. And these are the natures that are struggling within us. Okay? Now, who do you think is going to win? Which one? The old man already thinks he's going he's to lose. But what is the appropriate response if you see two guys here and they're about ready to arm wrestle? Who is going to win? The stronger one. Absolutely. Okay, ready? Go. Now, they're struggling, right? They're fighting. They're having an intense battle going on. He's saying, I'm going to beat you. I'm going to beat you. Look how red he's getting in the face. He's trying hard. He's working at it. Oh, man. This is a desire going on inside. Oh, look at it. It's a battle back and forth, back and forth. He's about ready to overtake him. Come on, get the spirit. Go, go, go. Do it. Oh, man. Come on. Do it. No, don't give up. Oh. All right, that's good enough. Okay. Thank you, guys. So it's quite evident that we as believers, if, if God says that there's a struggle going on in our life, he says here, especially here to Hosea, in this instance, he's saying, look, I know you, but you do not know me. He says, my judgment upon you is that I'm going to remove my presence from you. There's Alex over there. He represents the new man, and he was struggling. He was fighting. But the stronger man is always going to win. That's why it's so important that we feed off the word of God. We apply these things to our life. We do not let sin reign in our mortal body. We submit ourselves to God. We allow God to control us, not the old man. We keep the old man in the ground. When he starts to creep up his ugly head, you get a shovel and you smack him. Get in the ground. Stay in there. That's what we're supposed to do. We do not allow him to control in our life. But notice what here. Here is Hosea. Here's Israel. And notice what God is going to do as their judgment. They do not know the Lord. And their deeds are not permitting them to return back to the Lord. Notice what God is going to do in this instance. Look what he says in these other two verses here. Verses 5 through 7. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Israel and Ephraim shall stumble in his guilt. Judah also shall stumble with them. With their flocks and herds they shall go to seek the Lord. But they will not find him. He has withdrawn from them. They have dealt faithlessly with the Lord, for they have borne alien children. Now the new man, new moon shall devour them with their fields. Interesting verses here. Because God's saying, I'm giving a judgment upon 
Israel. And my judgment is I'm going to remove my presence from you. Here's the scene. They're thinking, they're going, yeah, okay, we're going to continue to go after our other lovers. We're going to continue to play the whore. But we're going to continue as everything has always been. We're going to continue to bring our sacrifices into the temple. We're going to slay our, our oxen and our lambs and our goats and all this kind of stuff. We're going to worship the Lord. But God says this. He says, they go to seek me, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn from them. Rather than truly returning to the Lord, they were just going through the religious rituals. God does not care. God does not care about religious ritual. You know what he cares about? Your heart. Their heart was not after God. He wanted them to return with their whole heart. And if we are not careful about following the Lord after with our whole heart, we could just so easily go through the motions, religious ritual, reading our Bible just because that's what we should do, checking it off our to-do list, having a time of prayer because, hey, that's what Christians should do. But we should be seeking after the Lord with our whole heart. We may keep going to church, but our hearts are cold and indifferent to Jesus. We may read our Bible and pray just to go through the motions, but our hearts are indifferent to Jesus Christ. We can use religious rituals as a cover to justify our unfaithfulness to God. And if our hearts are not in it, it does nothing. So it may just look just like the real deal. But inside, in our hearts, we may be far away from God. Now, notice in the text how God brings judgment on Israel. Now, this is so important. He does it by removing his presence. They're seeking after the Lord, but God says, you're not going to find me. He says, I'm removing my presence from you. He says, you're going to try so hard. You're going to offer all these sacrifices, but you will not find me because your heart is not in it. If you're here without Jesus Christ, if you do not know the Lord as your Savior, can I beg of you and earnestly plead with you that as, as, as the Spirit calls you and, and is, is drawing you unto the Father, if you do not heed His direction, if you do not listen to Him, God is in no obligation to continue to do that. If you continue to reject and continue to reject and continue to reject, and you say, I don't want anything to do with him. God is under no obligation to continue to have his presence drawing you. Romans chapter 1 clearly tells us that, that God gave them over to a reprobate mind. To do the things which were convenient for them. To continue it however they wanted to continue. So God's judgment here is that he withdraws his presence from them. So here in this context, God withdraws himself from his people. And this was part of his judgment. Let's look at another part of his judgment. So God's judgment is removing his presence. Look at this. Thirdly, God's judgment poured out. Hosea chapter 5 verses 8 through 10. Blow the horn in Gibeah. 
the trumpet in Ramah, sound the alarm at Beth Avon. We follow you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall become a desolation in the day of punishment. Among the tribes of Israel, I make known what is sure. The princes of Judah have become like those who move the landmark upon them. I will pour out my wrath like water. These verses start out by telling, saying, sound the alarm, blow the trumpet. Judgment is coming. Get ready, because I'm going to pour out my judgment like water. God here is threatening to bring his judgment through foreign armies. And we know that not too long after this, that eventually foreign army came in, took Israel captive, destroyed everything, took them into exile. So this is a warning. God says, my judgment is coming and I'm going to pour it out like water upon you. God describes here his judgment as like a tidal wave, a flood that destroys everything in its path. God will bring judgment upon them with destructive fierceness. He says, nobody's going to escape this. He says, this is my judgment upon you. Look here now, fourthly, about part of his judgment on judgment day. God's judgment as a moth and rot. Look at Hosea 4.12. He says, Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment, because he was determined to go after filth. But I am like a moth to Ephraim, and like dry rot to the house of Judah. God here uses two images here to describe his wrath, like a moth and dry rot. Now, what do those two things have in common? They destroy, they eat eat everything, right? Does anybody in here own a boat? Did anybody in here used to own a boat? Are you glad you got rid of your boat, right? (laughs) My dad, I remember uh, when we were living in uh, New Mexico, there's a uh, lake out there and it's called Elephant Butte. It's probably about maybe two, two and a half hours from where we live. Well, my dad was given a boat. And this was a, oh all-wooden boat. And my dad got me and my brother all excited about it. He says, yeah, we're going to go out there. We're going to sand it down. And we're going to paint it. We're going to fix it up. We'll go out to the lake. Man, this will be great. And we were excited. We'd go out there. We'd help dad sand on the boat and everything. So then my dad went to the, to the store to buy some uh, primer for the boat after he got it all sanded and nice, smooth and everything. Started painting it and everything. Next day, we went out there. And all the wood had splintered up. Everything that we had just painted, primered, everything just splintered up. So we sanded it again, painted it. Next day, we did that about three or four times. My dad then went to go talk to the guy at the thing. He says, man, I'm painting it. He says, well, your boat is rotten. What do you mean it's rotten? He says, it's, he says, it's rotting from the inside. It's rotten. He says, your boat's no good. The only thing you could do is just basically use it for firewood. So that's what we did. We tore it all apart and used it for firewood. But here God says, my wrath is going to be like dry rot. And it's going to be like a moth. It's going to be very destructive. And he says here, because it's like a moth and because it's like dry rot, these things are a slow process. It doesn't happen right overnight. Can I tell you sometimes the judgment of God is sometimes like a slow process? 
It's not always in lightning bolts and thunder. Sometimes it's like a moth. Sometimes it's like dry rot. And God says, I'm going to bring my judgment upon Israel here. I'm going to destroy them bit by bit by bit. Little by little by little. That's God's judgment upon them. It's going to be a slow, gradual, wasting away in their life. Notice here another thing about his judgment. Look what he says here, verse number, uh, verse 13 through 14. God's judgment is like the fierceness of his wrath. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king, but he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off, and no one shall rescue. First of all, look at the description of their sin. Notice how they deal with this. Look at the solution that they have towards it. God says, Ephraim saw their sickness. So Ephraim's looking around. Remember, this is the largest uh, tribe of the ten tribes. And they're going, man, we are desperately in trouble here. We need to fix this. They're looking around and saying, look at these wounds. Look, look how terrible condition that we are in. And they said, we got a solution. Oh, Assyria. Now, there's great irony in this because God uses Assyria to bring his judgment upon them. So here they are, instead of turning back to the Lord... And saying, God, heal us of our sickness, heal us of our wound, heal us of our sin. Instead, their man-centered solution is to turn to a foreign nation and saying, can you guys help us? You're a king, can you help us? And God says, this is all wrong. Because I'm supposed to be your king, I'm supposed to be your God, you're supposed to return to me. But instead... They turned to Assyria. They ran to another king. You know, it would be Assyria that would destroy the country and send the people into exile. They ran to Assyria for help, but Assyria was no doctor. Assyria was their destroyer. Rather than return to the Lord, the people tried to come up with their own solution, a man-centered solution. And God says, I am going to bring judgment upon you even using Assyria, the one that you're running to, as the one that's going to come and destroy you. And look how he's going to destroy them. Look what he says. He says, I'm going to be like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue. You see, man-made solutions never work, do they? So what do we do? What do we do in our sin? What do we do in our problems and, and, and in our, our, our sickness and, and, and our wounds? Very simple. We need to return back to the Lord. We need to return after Christ. Follow Him. Don't rely upon man-made solutions. God does not want us to rely on useless man-made solutions because He has given us a God-centered solution. And that's to rely upon Jesus Christ. Now you say, Mike, I thought we were supposed to be talking about love here. You're talking about the judgment of God. Where is the love of God in all of this? I mean, it seems pretty hopeless, doesn't it? I mean, you have God saying, I'm going to remove my presence. You have God here saying, 
I'm going to come upon you and I'm going to pour out my wrath like water, like a tidal wave. He says, I'm going to be like a, a moth and dry rot. And he says, I'm here going to be like a fierceness of a lion. I'm going to tear you to pieces and carry you off. Where is the love of God in all of this? This is where we see mercy. This is where we see grace. In Jesus Christ. We would all agree that the descriptions here that God gives of God's judgments are what we deserve. Do we not? I mean, we all deserve his judgment. We all deserve to be destroyed. We all deserve his, his wrath to be poured out upon us. But Jesus, who did not deserve the judgment of God, in any way received the judgment of God for us. All of these judgments of God that was pronounced here on, on, in Hosea, on the nation of Israel are the same judgments of God that were poured out upon Jesus Christ. We've seen in this passage as God describing his judgment as removing his presence. Jesus experienced this on the cross. When he was on the cross, he became sin who knew no sin. And he said, God, why have you forsaken me? God removed his presence from his son. Jesus experienced that. We've seen in this passage described God's judgment poured out like water. Jesus received the full force of God's wrath while on the cross. We've seen in this passage described God's judgment as a slow eating process using moth and rot. The death in which Christ died on the cross was a slow and painful judgment. The crucifixion was not meant to be a, a, a very fast exu- execution. Many times the, the, the people that would, were crucified would linger on the cross for hours, if not days. Sometimes the soldiers would come by and break the legs of the victim because that's what they used to push up on a nail to get a breath and then slump back down. So by breaking their legs they would hurry up the crucifixion. And Christ lingered on the cross for hours. A slow, painful death that Christ took on the cross. We have seen this passage describe God's judgment as a fierce lion. That lion tears and shreds its victim. This is exactly what happened to Jesus. His body, it was broken. It was beaten. It was bludgeoned. He was, he, was, he was slapped in the face. He was hit. He had his beard ripped out. He had a crown of thorns mashed upon his head. They took his body and they beat him with a cat of nine tails, tearing his body. All of this he did to receive the judgment of God. That's where we see the love of Christ in all of this. Now, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you have one or two options. Either you can receive Christ and you can say, Lord, thank you for taking this judgment of God for me. Or you can face a judgment of God on your own. And it's not going to turn out too well. You say, well, what about me if I already know Christ as my Savior? This is where we that know Christ... 
we can look towards Jesus and we can say, Jesus, thank you for taking our judgment for us. Thank you for being that that wonderful savior that we look towards. Thank you for being that solution to my problem. Thank you, Jesus, for, for taking upon yourself the full wrath of God so that I might have life. And Jesus, I want to be that man that follows after you. I want to be that man that focuses on what you focus on. I want to be that person that, that does not allow the old man to rule in my life. Because Jesus, you took the full judgment of God in my own life. Help me to live for you. Thank you.